0: Morning, good morning, everybody. It's good to see y'all. So before we get into our time today, we are going to have a time called Mission Moment. Uh, my name is Nathaniel. I'm the missions director here, and uh, Mission Moments is just an opportunity for us to be able to share what Storehouse is doing in our community, uh, what y'all are doing in your community, and what we do worldwide. And today, man, I I have the pleasure to be able to introduce our short-term missions trip for next summer in 2020. So if you remember last year, we went to Guatemala, and uh, yeah, we worked with uh, the Bropes, uh, Dylan and Missy. And so they're missionaries uh, with servants in Guatemala, uh, and we were able to work with them, work alongside the church that they're at, and a lot of the families that they work with. What they do is they work with uh, and disciple low or high risk families uh, in Guatemala, and so that was an amazing experience last year. And we're going to be doing this trip every other year, and so next summer, next July, we're going to be going again to Guatemala. And so this is our official announcement, and next week, uh, I believe that's the 9th, right? Next week, we're going to be having an informational meeting, and it's no commitment, nothing like that, just right after service at 1230, up on the third floor in in this building. Uh, If you're just interested, or you have questions, or you just want to know a little bit more of the details about this trip, please join us up there, and we'll be able to talk about it. Uh, You can also come up to me and ask me any questions, or email me at at nate at storehousemcallen And so we're excited for this trip. We're excited to see what God does this next year uh, and then in the whole process of getting ready uh, to go. But Dylan and Missy have been amazing missionaries for us, and and we've been able to, you know, financially support them for many years now. Uh, And so that is what we're going to be doing next year, and I'm very excited for it. And so before we move on, I want to pray real quick for uh, Dylan and Missy and just that ministry and also for anyone who may be interested in going on the trip. So please pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you're doing through your church and in your kingdom. The, the missional opportunities that you give us in, in our daily life is such a blessing for us to be able to share your gospel and share the good news about you to all that we come into contact with. You've given this, us this specific opportunity to be able to go and partner specifically with Dylan and Missy Brobst in Guatemala, and you've given us the opportunity to be able to go physically, not just financially, and to be able to be with them in the midst of everything that they do. So I ask that you work on the hearts of anybody who, who you have ordained for this trip, that they will uh, feel the conviction of their heart to be able to go on this trip, to be able to say, this is where I need to go. This is the next step that I need to take to be able to serve in my world and be able to share the gospel with those uh, outside of my comfort zone. So we thank you for these opportunities. Thank you for the ropes and everything that they do, the impact that they have on families on the daily God, you are an amazing God, and we just offer this to you and submit ourselves to you in this moment. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen. So like I said, my name is Nathaniel. Uh, I will be with you this morning uh, carrying on our revival series. Um, This series has been really amazing so far, and Pastor Marco has really, you know, put a lot of his heart into this series. As as, uh, him and I have met over the weeks getting ready for each sermon, Um, it's been really cool just to see the transformation in just both of our lives as we've dived into the text and been able to really study his word when it comes to revival. And as a reminder, revival is a work of God in the people of God. It's not a specific event, it's not like those tent meetings that we often think about when we think of like a revival service or something. It's not this instantaneous change that just happens. Rather, revival is a specific period of time that God uses as a catalyst to launch us into a deeper relationship with him. That's what revival is. It is a work of God in the people of God. And Marco talked about last week how revival is also done in community. We are meant for fellowship. We're meant for community. We're meant to live life together. And so revival happens through that, through fellowship, through relationship. And so revival may be a personal transformation of your heart as you grow closer to God, deeper relationship, you know, uh, being sanctified more and more, becoming more like God. It may be personal, but it's not private. It's something that we do together. And and Marco said last week that in isolation, that revival and sanctification will wither. And it's so true. It's meant to be a regular rhythm of our life through discipleship and community. And so today we're going to be talking about discipleship. So last week was community. It was kind of this like, you know, thirty thousand foot view on revival and community and fellowship. And today we're going to dive in a little bit closer, and we're going to talk about discipleship and what that really means. And we're going to walk alongside Paul in First Th- uh, First Thessalonians as he talks about his experience in his ministry with this. Before we get into that, though, I want to share a little bit about my first couple of years as a Christian with you. Um. My my, uh, early life as a Christian was after I was 19. I became a Christian, first year of university. Um, And less than six months, I mean, just a few months into being a Christian, uh, the summer came after freshman year uh, of college. And so... That summer, I had a summer job uh, going from camp to camp, being like a counselor, you know, uh, the, the sports uh, coordinator, stuff like that. And it was a team of four students, and me and then three others. And so it was a pretty classic, you know, summer job for a you know, college student. And it it was really amazing. We were able to go from camps in Iowa to Pennsylvania to Minnesota, because I grew up in Indiana. So, like, we were going all over the Midwest, um, which really is not that far, I mean, all of that is still within, like, Texas, but uh, uh, we were going all over these different states, and being able to just experience life together, I mean, we were all, like, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and just driving from camp to camp, Uh, and when you work with somebody that closely, when you're, you know, living alongside somebody, you really get to know them really, really well, and so we became friends, and it was... Man, it was Danny, Tyler, and Jess. And I always remember uh, our group. We, just, we had a good time that summer. And we also were working at Christian camps. And so we were hearing the gospel pretty much every single night. And all of us were wrestling with what it means to be a Christian. Or we were at different places in our walk with God. And so like, we were just young people going through life, trying to figure this all out as we were working a summer job. And it was, uh, it was an amazing summer for me. It was a period of intense revival in my life as an early Christian, and it was also the summer where, for the first time since I had become a believer, I found myself able to worship God purely for who He was. I remember it was one night we had just had a worship service with the uh, with the teens at the camp, and uh, I was praying for some of the boys that were in my cabin. And so they all went to bed, you know, nights out and all that. And then the counselors, you know, go and hang out after that. And we were just in a field, and we were talking about, like, what God was doing in the lives of some of the teenagers at this camp. And I was just uh, sitting on the grass, and I was looking up at the sky, at at the stars in the middle of nowhere, and just really talking through this and listening to the stories around me, and it just hit me that God is the creator of all this. He's the creator of the universe, and yet he loves us to the point where he intercedes in our life. And that was, that was a first for me. Like it was something I had never really like clicked in my head. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. And that whole summer, uh, I experienced just this revival, this catalyst into a deeper relationship with God. And it happened because I was in this discipleship relationship with these three other students. Like, we were walking through life together, walking through these questions of God together, and we all experienced a revival that summer in the midst of just a job, just working a job during the summer as a student. Fast forward about a year and a half later, and uh, back on campus, but I had spent, like, the last eight, ten months really not in community. Not in church, not, you know, I wasn't attending regularly. I was always tired, or I had a test, I had homework, you know. There's excuses that we have. So I wasn't going to church. I wasn't really spending time with uh, other believers. Um, You know, I had friends who were Christians, but we were all kind of in that same place where it's like, we don't really talk about it. You know, we just kind of do our thing, go to class, come back, play Halo, you know, all that. And so... I was kind of in this rut. I, I wasn't reading scripture. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't praying really, you know, maybe go once a, once a month to church. And so I was, I was in this place of stagnation and, and just this spiritual drought. I was still a young Christian. I mean, this is only, you know, less than two years in. But my best friend, he came to me one day, and he's, he started talking about how his life was kind of in the same place, and so we decided to start meeting uh, regularly on Wednesday mornings, um, and we would just make sure we intentionally pray for each other. That was basically it. I mean, he was my best friend, so we were going to just hang out, but then we we're like, well, we need, we need to make sure we pray for each other in this time. And so we, uh, we started praying for each other on Wednesdays, and we both found ourselves in this period of revival in our lives, through the discipleship we were showing toward one another. And it wasn't anything crazy. I mean, it was just my best friend, and we just happened to set aside a certain time to make sure we actually talked about God. But I started attending church again, and then we also started then reading through Scripture together, not just praying. And I found myself in that time falling in love with the Word for the first time, actually desiring to open up my Bible, which was a new thing for me in my walk with Christ, And so I had this whole period of revival that was launched, and the catalyst for that was discipleship. And then at the end of uh, senior year, uh, I had a group of friends where we all played soccer together, and it was just a bunch of dudes and me, and we decided one Sunday, you know, because we hung out like every day, and we decided one Sunday, hey, let's just start reading through a book of the Bible, And so we just started doing that. It was just a bunch of my soccer buddies, you know, and we would meet on Sunday nights uh, and talk about either like what, what was talked about in the sermon that morning or if we were reading through a specific book of the Bible on our own or then we chose to do a book together. And that launched me into a whole nother period of revival where my relationship with God became just deeper and more intense and I fell in love with him even more. I mean, the pattern with this is that discipleship is what kind of launched every single one of these things. When we're in isolation, we're not being pushed like we are when we're in community with other people. And it makes it easy for us to fall in times of drought or stagnation because we're not investing ourselves in other people, and other people aren't investing themselves in us. But it was because of those periods of revival that I was able to go from a brand new Christian, beginning of uh, sophomore year, basically, at the end of freshman year, beginning of sophomore year, not really knowing what it meant to have a relationship with God. And through regular rhythms of discipleship in my life, I was able to get to a point where I felt called to ministry by the time I graduated and joined a uh, mission sending agency and entered into the mission field. That's how, that's how my life you know, kind of got to where I am now is because of intense periods of discipleship. And so revival and discipleship are tied intimately together. You don't have one without the other. God intends them to work closely together to be able to have revival happen in your life. So revival occurs within the regular patterns of discipleship. And so today we're going to dive into that. And Paul talks about this so clearly in 1 Thessalonians. And so we're in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12 today. I'm going to read it and then I'll pray for our time and then we'll dive in. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for everything that you do in our lives. You are an amazing God, and the God that deserves our worship. I ask right now that uh, you help all of our hearts to be able to latch on to the message that you have for us. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you so that the words that I say are from you, not from me. Holy Spirit, you have a work to do this morning, and so we just put ourselves before you and say you do your thing, and we're going to take our worries, our concerns, our desires, put them to the side, and let you be the master of our lives this morning. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen. So this passage really is, uh, is a time for Paul reminiscing uh, in this passage. He's reminiscing about when he was working in Thessalonica, right? And so he's writing back to the uh, Thessalonians, and it's him and Silas. And they were there as missionaries before. And so he's talking about their experience working there. And so this passage is really talking about two aspects of their ministry. First one is tent making, which tent making is a part of mission life, even still today, where it means that a missionary will go to a city, uh, a foreign city. It doesn't have to be like foreign nationality, but not their own city. They go to another city and... Uh, They will not take a salary from the church that they're working at. They'll uh, get a job in the city and do whatever. it's called tent making because Paul talks about how he would make tents to kind of support himself. And so that's one aspect. And I think it's important to note, too, that he's not talking about tent making purely in terms of not taking any money from the uh, church that he's working at. Because Paul did take money. He got financial support from churches. Uh, Philippi, The church in Philippi clearly says in Philippians that they were sending him money during his time in Thessalonica. And so the intent on tent making is, is not really financial at all. It has nothing to do with that. Rather, it's so that he can immerse himself in the culture of the city he's in. Because when you're getting a job and you're working and you're just doing your thing uh, in in your city, you're immersing yourself in the culture of your workplace, of your community, your neighborhood, wherever you're at. And so Paul saw that this was the most effective way he could do mission. The most effective way that he could live a life that shared Christ with everyone he met was by just working alongside him by having a job, by living life with them. And everywhere has a different culture. And Paul was coming to these different cities throughout his epistles, and every single one of those cities had a different culture. And so if he gets a job and he starts working, he's able to understand better the culture that he's living in and reach the people there better because he understands them. He's living life with them. He immerses himself in the culture. And we all have that around us even here. I mean, there's macro cultures, right? Like, different nations have different cultures. Canada, U.S., Mexico, they all got different, like, cultural aspects, right? Even the Valley has a different cultural, you know, identity than the rest of Texas or anywhere else in the United States. But even here within McAllen, Edinburgh, like, Mission, like, we have different cultures. Even your own home has a different culture than your neighbor's house, we all have different things that we do, how we talk, how we, how we uh, communicate with each other, even body language, uh, traditions for holidays. There's different cultures everywhere you go. When you get a new job, is not the new place a different culture than your old job? You have to figure out how you fit in, right? How everything works, how they do things. And so even here, even if you grew up in the valley you're encountering new cultures every single day. And so what Paul is talking about here is very applicable to every person across the globe. It doesn't matter if, if you're not going to be a missionary and go to Asia and figure that out. Man, you've got your own mission field at your workplace. You have your own culture with your neighbors that you can immerse yourself in. And so we do that, though, through relationship, through getting to know the people that we're around in those cultures. And then we're able to become a part of that culture. And that's discipleship. And that's the second aspect of his mission that he's talking about. When he talks about tent making, you know, I work day and night, toil, so I wouldn't be a burden to you, but he does it so that he can share the gospel. And so discipleship is the other part of his ministry. Matter of fact, it's all wrapped up together. And so what we're going to do today is kind of go with the pattern that Pastor Marco set with this series. And we're just going to ask a couple questions. And we're going to walk through it. And so the very first question is, what is discipleship? Just simply, what is discipleship? And discipleship is walking with each other as we go from where we're at to where God wants us to be. It's a very simple concept, yet difficult oftentimes to actually put into practice. But it's going from where we're at, our current location and our relationship with God, and carrying us to a point where we're closer to Him. It's making our relationship with Him deeper. And discipleship is bilateral. It's both ways. It's not one of those relationships where You're just pouring into somebody, but you get nothing out of it. That's not how discipleship works. Discipleship goes back and forth. And so every single relationship that you're in all of a sudden becomes a discipleship relationship. Which kind of leads us to what a lot of people kind of ask is, okay, do you have to do like the coffee meetings or, you know, does it have to be within the context of community group or discipleship groups like we talked about last week? Like it doesn't have to be formal. Matter of fact, most of our discipleship relationships are not formal. They're going to be informal. I mean, think about my first few years as a Christian. My first really intensive discipleship was with a bunch of coworkers. My next one was with uh, a, a, my best friend, and we did make it a little bit more formal, but we we're also just basically hanging out the whole time. And then the last one was just uh, a bunch of soccer buddies. Like we would play on the field and then hang out and talk about Jesus. Discipleship is going to happen in your life, and it's you're going to have different relationships with different people. Uh, that you just have regular friendships with, or coworkers, whatever it may be, you're going to have these discipleship relationships all over. Doesn't have to be formal. There's nothing wrong with being formal. Matter of fact, I've had some very rewarding experiences in formal discipleship relationships where we would meet regularly and really talk about something specific. But that's not how our life works all the time. I mean, we can't have all these formal meetings every day of the week, right? But rather, we can hang out with people. We can do our own thing uh, throughout our life. And in that, we're going to have impactful discipleship. And so, this passage gives us two elements of discipleship in verse 8. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, so, the first part is sharing the gospel. Also, our own selves. So the two aspects is you share the gospel and you share your life. That's what discipleship is: sharing the gospel, sharing your life. And so that brings us to the next question: How does discipleship happen? Well, I mean, it's also kind of answered right there. It's your life. Your life is how discipleship happens. Now, in that, I see it split up kind of in two ways. One, it's intentional discipleship in your life. And then two, it's unintentional discipleship in your life. Intentional discipleship is the decision or the decisions that you make to act or speak in a certain way. In verse 9, he says... uh, for you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be burdened to you while we proclaimed the gospel. There's both action and proclamation. They're doing things and they're saying things. And that's what makes it intentional, is they are intentionally speaking or acting in a certain way. And so what can we pull from what Paul says here? How should we intentionally be discipling those around us in our everyday rhythms and relationships? Well, the first one is love. Verse 8, he talks about how he affectionately desired them, how they were very dear to him. And you have to remember he's talking about this at the beginning of his time as a missionary in that city. Meaning, I mean, he planted the church. He didn't know everybody super well. Like, he still knew there. And yet, he still loves them. So much so that he's going to be working this job, not taking a salary from that church, being able to live life amongst everybody, come out of his comfort zone. Like, he loves them. Man, how do we have that love? What's that even look like? Well, see, that's the thing that sets us apart. Christians should be known for their love for everybody around us. That's what makes us different from everybody. That's how we know who God is, is through the love. That's how other people know who God is, through the love that we show them. 1 John 3, 16-19 says... By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, which is the gospel. By this we shall know that we are the truth, we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Man, love is an echo of God's love for us. So the love that we show other people needs to be a reflection of the love that God has shown us. And man, he's shown us a lot of love. I mean, we are in the midst of our sin and we are messed up people and yet he still adopted us, brought us into his family and said, you know what? It's okay. I love you anyway and I want you to be a part of this. Be a part of what I'm doing and he's forgiven us unconditionally. Man, he, he forgives us for something we don't even deserve to be forgiven for. Man, that's love. And so are you showing that kind of love to everyone around you? And it's going to be intentional. It has to be because love, it's a choice. You choose to love. I choose to love my wife. I choose to be able to be in relationship with her even in the midst of times when we may be upset with each other, when things aren't perfect, when we're struggling financially or emotionally, whatever it may be. Man, we still love each other. And I know that uh, she has my back and I have her back. And that's because our love is going to reflect the love Christ has shown us. That love is not just between husband and wife, though. God says that we need to love everybody and be able to show love to everyone, even our enemies. Like, do you guys realize how profound that is to be able to love your enemies? To be able to say that, man, that person is a real jerk to me every single day in the office. They're always going behind my back. They're going to my boss. They're trying to get me fired. They're trying to, you know, one-up me and all this stuff. And yet every time I talk to them, I'm going to show them love. I'm going to treat them like they're my best friend. Man, the world doesn't do that. That's not common. That's not natural. It's not how we work. But man, it's how God works. And only through his grace are we able to do that for other people. And you know what? It may never even matter to that person. They may never even, you know, question it. And they may continue to do all this stuff to you. But they may also start wondering, man, why is he so nice to me? Why does she treat me like that? And that's a chance to share the gospel. Man, it's Jesus that makes us be able to do that. Or maybe other people in the office looking in can see, man, there's something different about that person. The way that they love on everyone in the office. Man, love is done in action. And is done in proclamation. Of the truth of the gospel. And you know, the greatest way that we can show love to people is to share the good news of the gospel. Because the truth is that without Jesus Christ, there is eternal damnation. It's not love to just let people live in their sin. That's not what love is. Love is difficult sometimes and it's hard. But in discipleship relationships, in community, in having life with each other, the door is then open to be able to express that love in those hard conversations. I mean, I got one friend who, I've been friends with him for a long time and he is not a believer. He still isn't. But man, when I talk to him, I share Jesus with him. Because he needs to know, and I I love him. I, I want him to know God because it's the greatest thing in my life. My relationship with God means more to me than anything else, which means I'm going to talk about it. And if I really love him, then I need to tell him about it. And so that's the greatest expression of love that you can have for somebody, is by sharing the amazing news that we have about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. The second intentional discipleship that we do is encouragement. Verse 12, it says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. Now, Pastor Marco talked about this a lot last week, and so we aren't going to spend a lot of time on it. Really, the one thing I want to say about encouragement is just this. Lift up, don't tear down. Lift others up, don't tear them down. Man, if you've got a joke and you think it's super funny but it's going to rib on somebody, man, don't say it. If you've are if, you're, if you got uh, anything to say towards somebody and it's just going to embarrass them, tear them down in some way, man, you don't need to do it. Encourage people. Be that person that is encouraging to everyone you're around. People take notice. People will notice a difference in you if you're the one that they want to be around because they know you're going to be complimenting them or encouraging them, making them feel like they can do more than they think. Like that is a special gift to be able to be that person. And so encourage. And then the third one that we see is at the end of uh, verse 12. And charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Man, it's urging holiness. Holiness. We talked a lot about living a life of holiness, uh, pursuing holiness, especially with uh, being in Peter uh, first Peter, just this sermon series before this one. because he talks a lot about it. <clears throat> but holiness, pursuing holiness, is so vital in our walk as a believer. I mean, that's why it's said throughout Scripture in different areas. And I like how he kind of says it, because he says you need to pursue holiness. You also need to urge others to pursue holiness in your relationships, really for one reason. Because you want to live a life that's worthy of God. You want to do that personally, and you want to urge others to do it. And, it. and it's hard to pursue holiness. It's hard to, you know, be able to hate our sin and put it aside, because, I mean, we're in the midst of it, Right? But discipleship is that chance where we can speak into each other's lives. Having somebody to be able to call out your sin and you being able to call out their sin, but in a loving, encouraging relationship, man, that helps to be able to then become more like God, pursuing holiness. Man, but it really, really comes down to why. I mean, we can can go forever about all the details that scripture lays out for like methods of pursuing holiness, how to pursue holiness, all that stuff. And we've done that in, in 1 Peter. And you can go back and you know, check those sermons out. But the real, the real question that he's hitting here is why? Why do we want to urge others to pursue holiness? And why do we want to pursue holiness ourselves? Man, the answer is that we have been saved by Grace by a king who rules an amazing kingdom and wants us to be a part of that kingdom. He has forgiven you of your sins. He has forgiven me of my sins. Sins that, I mean, it's our own fault. Sins of our own creation that he has washed away in his infinite grace and mercy. Man, he's the creator of the universe. He created everything. And yet he still loves you individually. He has made a way to be in relationship. No matter what crap you've done or what you're going to do, he wants to have a relationship with you. As the king, as the creator, as the almighty, as perfect. He has never sinned, he has never fallen short, and yet we have. Man, that's why you pursue a life worthy of him. He has honored you and blessed you with his presence in a way that we don't deserve and, and we can never can. Man, why, why do we urge others to pursue holiness? Why do we pursue holiness ourselves? It's because we can't do anything else. If you have a relationship with God, there's, not, there's no other option. That's, that's the only option. And so those three things are, are, are the things that Paul talks about for living an intentional life of discipleship. Man, you're going to love people, you're going to encourage people, and you're going to urge each other to holiness. But then there's another aspect to it. There's the unintentional discipleship in your life. And for me, this is just the ordinary rhythms of life. In verse 10, he says, You are witnesses in God, God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. Man, he's just working a job, he's just hanging out, he's just living life with them. And he says, You know how righteous and blameless we were. We had a life that was an example of Christ. In fact, Uh, Paul talks about this often where he says like in Philippians 3 and 1 Corinthians 11 he talks about how uh, the churches that he's working at should be imitators of him as he's an imitator of Christ. Now my first reaction with that is kind of like that's a little prideful Paul you know thinking that your life is you know the example but the truth is that all of our lives are an example Eve, I mean, whether you like it or not, your life is an example of who God is if you claim to be a Christian. And that's all that Paul is saying. He's saying that he realizes his life is not his own, and your life is not your own. It is a direct reflection of God to both believers and non believers. In your ordinary rhythms of life. In everything that you do. Because our ordinary habits, our ordinary things, they become discipleship moments. And in turn, we're being discipled by other people's ordinary. By their everyday. Everything you do is under inspection. Constantly. You're always teaching something. You're always preaching a message to people. And so, man, I just made a list of some things that I was like, all right, where am I, like, interacting in my life and what, what areas you know, am I just unintentionally discipling people? The first one I thought of was social media. Man, social media is dangerous. It's also fun, but it's dangerous. Like, we could really get in trouble, and I see it sometimes. I'll see a friend of mine post something or retweet something or like something and I'm like yeah that wasn't smart you shouldn't have done that that was not you know good reflection on you or on your savior what are you tweeting What are you posting on Instagram what are you liking on it because that does show up on other people's lines like they know what you're liking is it honoring god is it setting a, a setting a good example to other believers? Man, social media. Hanging out with people. Just uh, hang out with friends. Like, are you honoring God in your relationships with friends? Or is it, oh man, I'm just so close with these guys, you know, these two, three guys, that it's okay that we maybe tell a bad joke every once in a while. Is that really honoring God in everything that you do, everything that you say? What about what we eat and drink, our health? Is the health of your body reflecting Christ to others? Or is it showing a lack of self discipline? How about language used? The language that you use in daily life is it honoring God? Are the things that you're saying, the jokes you're telling, are they honoring God in everything that you do and say? Do people see Christ reflected in your language? How will media absorb the movies you watch? Look on your history on Netflix or on like Amazon Prime or something. Like, are you watching shows that are good for you? And everyone's going to have different convictions on certain things. But there's some things that just aren't good for people. They're not going to be good for your heart. Are you honoring God in the things that you watch? The music you listen to? How about the way you treat others? I mean, are you really showing love to other people? Are you really showing Christ to every single person you come across? When you go to Starbucks, the way you talk to the barista... Is it in a way that honors them? Are you tipping well? I mean, these are just simple things, but you're interacting with people every single day. And even more so than just random people all around, what about your family? Your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, extended family, Man, are you honoring God in your relationships and language with them? Man, even if you have, you know, a sibling that is just horrible to you, man, are you showing love to them anyway? I mean, how do you treat those who can hurt you the most? I mean, that's where real love can come out. Our ordinary habits become discipleship moments. Are you discipling to the fullest? Are you being intentional with both the intentional and the unintentional parts of your life? Are the ordinary rhythms of your life teaching the gospel? Which leads us into the last question I have. What are the results of discipleship? Discipleship has had such a dramatic impact on my life, personally. And it's had a dramatic impact on everyone's life that I know. And there's a lot of amazing things that can come from discipleship. From being in a godly relationship with other people. Man, it encourages you. When things are tough, you know you got people that you can go to because you've invested in them. You've invested time and relationship. You have encouragement. Man, I can guide you. I have family uh, who are Amish um, up north. And so the Amish in their horse and buggy, which I don't know if you all have ever seen, but in horse and buggy, the, um, the horses have these little blinders on, right? and they're on the side of the face like this, so that way like when the cars are going by, it doesn't freak them out, and the horses don't scatter and you know, cause an accident or something. In the same way, I think we often put on blinders in our own life, where we're so focused on exactly what's in front of us or the situation that we're in or maybe our own selfish desires that we forget everything around us. Being in a discipleship relationship, you are giving the opportunity for other people to speak into your life, to help guide you, even in those times where you are so focused on the one thing in front of you. Man, it humbles us too. It is hard to be prideful when you've got other people speaking truth into your life. Because the truth is, we don't have anything to be prideful about. I can promise you that you don't. But when we have our blinders on, man, we look real good, right? But when other people are speaking into your life, when you're getting truth from other people, man, you see where you're at. And they can help guide you to where you need to be. In a closer relationship with Jesus. Man, it can challenge us in those moments. When we're struggling with sin or we're ignoring the sin. Man, you invest in discipleship relationships and you can challenge each other and be able to get beyond things you can't do on your own. You can comfort us. And sometimes we just have grief in our life. And I've shared before in past sermons how I've struggled with um, depression in my life. Man, my wife comforts me in those times. And it, it, I, I can't imagine getting through it without her because she is comforting me in that. And that's what all discipleship relationships can do. They can comfort you in the midst of grief, depression, anxiety, anything you're going through. Man, and it also celebrates. Our community group was able to celebrate a bunch of things this past semester. It's really been a great semester. But I remember um, Seth, Pastor Marco's son, he got into Lomar Academy for next school year. Man, our community group just celebrated. Like, we just had a party. And we celebrated with him. Like, that's what community is, that's how it functions. Your wins is everybody's wins, their win is your win. Like, that's a life that just is brightened by everybody you're around. Man, revival is a catalyst for a deeply personal transformation of the heart, but it is not a private transformation. God chooses to work revival through the means of discipleship. And so those were positive results of discipleship. So kind of what's the, what's the opposite then? What if you choose not to be in discipleship with others? Not in community. What are the results there? What's the danger of going solo of living in isolation. And I want to point you to two passages. Proverbs 18, 1, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. James 1, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Man, you put yourself in isolation and you are going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be enraptured by your own desires which will lead to the multiplication of sin in your life which is going to lead to death. So if you try to go solo, if you try to live a life in isolation, man, you're going to have multiplication of sin, you're going to have arrogance, you're going to have anger, bitterness is going to well up in you, you're going to be discouraged. It's going to lead to heresy. Heresy is a lack of understanding of what scripture teaches about God and is believing the wrong things about him. Man, if you live your life in in isolation, without community, without the church around you, it is going to open the doorway to sin in your life, which is going to corrupt and pervert the truth that is in your heart, and then before you know it, it's not going to be truth. Isolation is going to take you backwards, away from God. And so if you think that you can live not going to church consistently, man, maybe just once every once in a while, not being in community, not having intentional relationships with people around you, with other believers, if you think, oh, it's just awkward for me, it's uncomfortable. Marco talked about being an introvert for himself last week. Like, these are not excuses, guys. If you choose to live in isolation, you are going to have these things happen in your heart and in your life. I mean, it's clear in Scripture. Proverbs and James, I mean, it's, it's right there. Don't fall into the trap that you can do it on your own. Whether it's beating sin, whether it's just getting to know God better, whether it's living a life that honors him, you can't do it alone. We weren't made to do it alone. That was never God's intention. It was never something that was even a possibility for us. He gives us community and discipleship, these relationships with each other, to be able to be encouraged, to guide us closer to him, to be able to be humbled and challenged, comforted, and to be able to celebrate with one another. So if you want a closer relationship with God, man, if you want to kill sin, mortify sin in your life, man, you got to disciple each other. you got to seek out relationship. Be intentional with everything you say and you do, and be intentional with all those things that you're just doing. Your ordinary rhythms of everyday life. And we have a lot of different ways here that you can get plugged in. If you're like, man, I don't even know where to start with this. Dude, we got community groups. We've got discipleship groups, which we just talked about last week, where it's just a group, a small group of people meeting together regularly, just reading scripture, confessing sin to each other, and just praying for each other. I mean, it doesn't have to be challenging. Man, you could just go meet somebody for coffee, and invite someone over for a meal. Hospitality. Or just like silly fun, you know? Go to the shooting range. Start up the barbecue pit. Like, go to a trampoline park. I don't know what you guys like to do, but do something fun with other people. It's sometimes hard to get out of your house. I get it. I oftentimes after work want to sit and just watch Netflix for eight hours. But if you want to do that so bad, then invite somebody to do it with you. Have somebody come over and watch Netflix for eight hours. You're in relationship. You're in community. You'll disciple each other in those times. Make discipleship a regular rhythm. Because, man, if you want revival, if you want to know God more, it's going to occur within the regular patterns of discipleship in your life. Let's pray together today. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you've done. God, you are so good. You're so holy. You're so gracious. Thank you for your your encouraging and challenging words, the, the way scripture just cuts to the heart of everything. And I pray right now just for each one of our hearts. Dramatically change and transform us so that we desire the things that you desire. Let your will be done in our lives. We submit ourselves to you. And we sacrifice our own desires so that your desires will come through. God, you are so good, so holy. We love you. We worship you. We devote ourselves to you. Lord, as we transition into a time of of offering, tithes and offering, I want to thank you for that opportunity. That you give us to be able to worship you in a different way, in a way that honors you with our finances and our money and our wallets. It gives us the opportunity to be able to say once again that our desires are not first. Rather, you are first, and your work and your kingdom is what's primary in our life. So we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you for today. And we ask that you be with us in this time.